Okay. We have just about an hour left together and still some more ground that we want to cover. And I think, you know, we really want to end uh, with the nuts and bolts, with the transforming initiative. How, what's a small, easily attainable micro practice, you know, to move forward? If the end goal, you know, and you're hearing kind of a drip of that from myself and Tyler is, I think Tyler and I kind of want to start like a full on Protestant neo-monastic church order with a, that's uh, not a joke, like actually our long-term plan. And uh, we'll see what happens. With a very rigorous rule of life with people around the world living by and almost a church within our church, you know, where there's this deep end of the pool. So way, 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 way back, 10 years before that or whatever, or 20 years before that, what's, what's kind of a next step forward? And Tyler and I have been kind of walking down this path and living to this journey with about 12 other guys and living by our own rule and reading about this, dreaming about this, thinking about this, learning about this and learning together. But um, for a lot of you, this is a brand new idea. And so you should not start there. We're not there yet. You should start where you're at, not where you feel that you ought to be or whatever. Because the Willard line, God has yet to bless anybody other than where they actually are. So what's the next step? So we just want to back up. You know, Bethany just shared about how Bridgetown kind of backed up. We were pretty far down that path and thought, oh, we, we kind of went a little too fast too far. So how do we back up? We're still trying to get to the same place. But how do we back up, meet people where they are, and walk them forward one step at a time? So we just want to back up a little bit. And I thought Christian would be a great, just on a five-minute interview. I would just love to hear from you, Christian. So dear friend of mine, also the host of the Sabbath practice, so you'll get to know him very well soon. But, um, you know, Tyler and I kind of are in this group of about 12 or 13 pastors. We spend a week together every year, and uh, we live by a rule of life. And it's a beautiful kind of very replicatable model because you, you can do it on the cheap, and it's just very simple and beautiful what we do together each year. And you kind of started doing something similar, and you're how old now? 30. 30. So um, much younger than me. So talk to us about kind of your journey into kind of where you guys are at. You've kind of formed a little group, and you guys are starting to pray about this. Just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so, um, I mean, a lot of us, we were either part of this church, or a few of us were part of this church. It was when I was in Seattle kind of following the journey. And I but you don't come from this kind of a church tradition. No, not I'm at guessing all. like your church that you grew up in did not chat about rule of life. No, I grew up in like a and, mega uh, church, non-denom, hundred languages spoken in a Sunday, very yep. different sort of scenario. And so um, had n none of the language was like this. Actually, all of the closest thing we had was Romans 12, one and two. Like that was our church's verse, but that we all know thinking doesn't get you like far enough. Yeah. And so when I started hearing kind of about the practicing the way journey, it like shifted something for me. For me, actually the one that changed it all was Sabbath. So I um, was pastoring at the time about a thousand college students at a Christian university in Seattle. And I was just like burning the candle at both ends. And then the Sabbath practice started, I joined into it and like failed at it miserably and was like, this is supposed to be refreshing. And then I was like, this feels more stressful than when I didn't Sabbath, because I was just trying to figure it out, you and know? And this was timestamp that for us, how long ago was this, five This years would have been ago? like, yeah, 2017-ish. Yeah, okay. And so, but I think, anyway, just kept at it and kept figuring it out for myself. And then Sabbath actually kind of became the gateway drug for a restful rule of life for me. Yeah. And so, because it was actually, in some ways, doing a rule of life for one day. Yes. And so... Um, Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you actually kind of go deep into Sabbath. You're doing fixed hour prayer, even if you don't call it that. You're pausing to come aware of God and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So, I just had a few things. Like, like these, community, these life the practices together. for me on, on mm. you know, it was Saturdays at the time. And so, and, that, and then it was like, oh, well, what if I, like, tried to find different sort of things for each day? 
And so long story short, it came, became a rule of life for me. Certain things that helped me, for me it's a lot of stopping. Like what yes. are the limits that I need to reach to just stay healthy? So like, you know, I had a rhythm about how I go to bed each night, specifically in prayer, a couple things that were just helping me come back in ministry. And if I could end, um, if I could tell you the end of, and result of it all, it was actually, I remember when I left uh, pastoring that community, one of my colleagues said to me, something along the lines of, Christian, when I first met you, your um, life with Jesus was pastoring, but seeing you five years later, pastoring was you just giving away your life with Jesus. And for me, that was like, I didn't know it at the time, but like her saying that to me was like, oh my gosh, that's what I feel that's different. Like I'm just actually being able to give myself away rather than give just content or things I'm learning or things I'm passionate about away. So anyway, one of the things later was how do I do this with people? Yes. And so... um, I feel like we all hit that wall pretty quick. Like develop your own rule of life. You do your little spreadsheet if you're like us. And hopefully you're not like us. We (laughs) share some similar psychoses psychoses, whatever, I don't know what the plural of psychosis is, but we share it. <laughs> but you, you hit this wall where you're like, no, I need to do this with, together, especially mm-hmm. because I think in my experience, like it's been good for Tyler and I to workshop this together. You know, you build a rule of life at first around your preferences yeah. and your emotional felt needs. And your emotional felt needs get you maybe 70% of the way, but they don't get you to where you actually need to go. Totally. So, you know, it's the whole upstream, downstream discipline thing. Like, I need people like Tyler who are advocating for a rule of life having an hour a week with the poor. Because I would be like, an hour a week in solitude. Actually, an hour a day in solitude. I'm all for that. Right. But I have to be moved toward engagement with people, evangelism, you know, stuff, justice, work like that. Whereas other people have to be really moved toward Sabbath, silence. So it's like, it's like both that you know, upstream and downstream discipline thing. You need this wide population of things that just bring you alive to God. Mm-hmm. And then you need a growth edge. You need like that personal trainer. Like, totally. you know, I mean, the, the Desert Fathers and Mothers called themselves God athletes and called the, uh, literally likened their rule of life to like a training regimen. Like this is your workout schedule for like like your soul, which sounds very not restful, but it sounds very Pauline. Very Paul. (laughs) Anyway, keep going. So you hit that same spot where you're like, man, this is good, but I need other people to do this with. Yeah, it was kind of like, oh, this feels like I'm just hitting biceps in the gym, but spiritually, I'm like, I'm never doing leg day sort of situation where I'm like, and so having other people in my life that resonates. It's clearly my problem. That's just all biceps. It's just just like. Completely your problem. Just this big meathead, and I, yeah, I need to work out my calves more. I worked out with you once, though, and you made me almost throw up, so I'll give you your credit. That was pre-COVID. I was, that was, that was COVID-19 pounds ago. We digress. It did make me feel pretty good, though. We did, we did go do a workout and ran some stairs up in the West Hills, and he is 12 years younger than me, and he kicked my I butt did kick one. his butt. You but, did. You did. You that, very much that, did. That was a long that was time. Good. That was three years and a lifetime ago. <laughs> um, so anyway, so I realized between that and I think watching some of what was happening with C-Rock, like that was a piece for us, that, and for me, that was missing. So um, another guy who I'd become friends with, um, who actually kind of forced me into a friendship with him a little bit. You all know those people. Um, <laughs> kind of forced me into a friendship with him. Some people don't because they are those people. So they're like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Carry on. So um, I, anyway, had this friend, who, this guy who slowly became a good friend. We found out we had, even though like our personalities were kind of different, our hearts were really like yeah. similar. 
And so we, we started kind of dreaming of this sort of idea. What if we just knocked off what C-Rock was doing? But like for us, what if we found guys with some similar passions and desires? And then um, for us, we were like, how do we find a few different things like people across the country, a few guys between this age bracket and a few men who like, we, we had like ethnic requirements at a certain point where we didn't want to yeah. max out at a certain level with any ethnicity. So, um, and then we just started doing this together where our rule um, as men was to Marco Polo once a week or just check in, what's going on with your heart, what's happening wow. in your life, or like, are you alive? That, that's the baseline, just some, some just send a smile and that's it. So Marco once a week, we do a FaceTime once a month, and then we uh, go on a retreat once a year. And um, so we started that rhythm with like four of us, and now there's like nine of us. Feeling spiritual, we'll probably get to 12 or 13, depending how you count, and then... Um, <laughs> Who gets to be the Who gets to be 13, that's right? The that's question. the question. Um, and then this year, um, some years we'll take on a project as a group because all of us are about my age. None of us, one of us is planting a church this weekend, actually. Wow. Um, another one probably in the next year. Um, but not all of us have that same desire to be like church planners, but all specifically helping serve the local church in different capacities. So um, the question was like, what does a rule of life look like for us in this season, especially when, because it's so formative for us. So this year, our one practice was make a rule of life. And that's the only shared thing that we have. Um, I think all of us do have Sabbath as one of them, but the one goal for some of us, we've done it for four years. For some of us, it's been three weeks. So our just practice for this first year is just have a rule of life. Yeah. And then we have like a rule of life buddy in the group that, um, <laughs> you know, gotta do what you gotta do. Where you just like, you I love the sophistication of that branding. Rule of right life there. buddy, you know. Rule of life buddy. We have the tote ready to go yes. for rule of life buddy. Um, hashtag. So anyway, and now we've been just like processing that. How do we just try a rule of life? And I think um, last week, Tyler uh, was really kind to give us an hour with this group of guys and kind of shared his stuff around being a rule of life. And I think the cool thing for us, and for those of you who are new to any of this journey, I just say like failing and like just trying it and messing up and then trying it and figuring it out and even doing it in seasons rather than like, I think my mistake was I have to get my rule of life for my whole life. Like yes. this is the thing. So I know at one point I want to pray this long a day and I want to intercede for the loss. I want to this. And then it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even a year I think is too long mm. when you're beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So, like so it's season. basically just put it out there and then reevaluate each week or each month or whatever, just evaluate and what is Jesus actually inviting the present you, not the ideal you, into. Yeah, and do a community. Well done, that's incredible. Thank you so much, so grateful for you. Brandon, why don't you come up? Uh, thank you, Christian, what an incredible man. Um, this is Brandon again that you guys met yesterday. He's our brand spanking new director of church engagement as of like four days ago, right there. I'm sorry, my friend. Welcome. So, um, Brandon, I want to hear from you about, you know, your a few years ahead, not ahead of the curve on Christian, but in your kind of learning about this, about walking your church into it. So similar to Bridgetown, you've been doing this with your church in Indianapolis. So really quickly, give us a little bit of your backstory, like ecclesiologically or church tradition, where you come from, because... Um, I had this, like, I read the bio on, like, where you come from, came from, and then I was chatting to you and hearing the things, the questions you're asking, the, the dreams that you're kind of, are in your heart, and I, I could not connect the dots. So give us a little bit of that, not, not in a critical way, like, it was beautiful, but give us a little bit of that backstory. Where do you come from? What kind of church tradition do you come out of? Yeah, so I didn't grow up in the church, and I became a Christian at 13 in a fundamentalist Southern Baptist church in Kentucky. Uh, so I go from no church to all of a sudden choir robes and people singing about being washed in the blood of the lamb. Yeah. Very bizarre. Um, 
then I got into a Christian school that was also a part of this church. And that was a, just a wild experience. So that's what I kind of, what some authors call stage one spirituality. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot that I've come to appreciate about the inheritance yeah. that was passed down. Love for scripture, a love for um, kind of kingdom prayer. Yeah, um, obedience to Jesus. Yes, obedience to Jesus. Very activist in terms of like, you know, global missions and evangelism. But there were some gaps, as you can imagine. Yeah. The inner life was not something that was a category for me. Yeah. So around 30, we decided to plant a church. My wife and I leave uh, a mega church uh, in South Florida to plant in Indianapolis. That was also Southern Baptist, right? It was also Southern Baptist. Yeah. And we thought we were Baptist for life. I mean, when there was no you know, reason that we had to think about leaving that tradition. And this really, for us, sparked a huge season of relational pain and hurt from some of our mentors and people that we were in close relationship with. And uh, I started to have a massive season of anxiety, panic attacks. I mean, every single night I was waking up with severe anxiety. I thought I was having a heart attack. Um, And then I think just through that experience, God was revealing uh, in my own life just some patterns of relational disconnect, uh, defensiveness, reactivity, not being present to those around me, um, just a real inability to be vulnerable. And I remember we went on a retreat with uh, a a new network that we had joined at the time called uh, Sojourn Network, which is now Harbor Network in the Midwest. And uh, some therapists got up and uh, shared Bonhoeffer's wish dream and talked about that and applied it to marriage and ministry. And they were literally unpacking all of their junk and my wife and I looked at each other and we we're like, we have no category for people talking about weakness, talking about their inner life. Wow. And it, Was this Plass and Cofield or somebody yeah, else? Yeah, so that, they've become mentors as Rich Plass and Jim Cofield. And if you're not familiar with that, The Relational Soul is the book. It's a short book on kind of attachment theory and spiritual formation. And they're both former pastors turned psychologists yes. who turn around and help pastors. And they're, of, right? they're located in Southern Indiana. So we began to go down there. My wife went through their Soul Care Institute and it was like an awakening. I mean, yeah. I, it's nothing short of just a spiritual revolution for us. That was the entry point. For that you. was the entry point. We read Emotional Healthy Spirituality, a ch- group of uh, church planners yeah. I was in relationship with. And that was kind of my entry point. Yeah. yeah, and chapter two on you might be emotionally unhealthy if. if check, I, check, check. Yes, check, I literally checked check, every single check, box. Check, <laughs> check, I was like, I'm whatever beneath <laughs> unhealthy, un- dysfunctional, toxic, whatever, that's, that's me. <laughs> of course, my wife was not. She was totally emotionally healthy. Yep. Uh, you know, she's watching this. She knows. She has been my guide and guru on this journey, uh, but I was very unhealthy. And she grew up in the Catholic tradition, she right? Did. So, so she, more of a paradigm for Catholic turned Baptist. So we were like the forbidden relationship, a Catholic and a Baptist coming together <laughs> as teenagers. And then, we, we, then she, she essentially disowns that whole tradition only to now as an adult come back to, now she's like, this is so weird. Like, you're reading Merton, you're reading Nowen. I read them in grade school. Like, welcome, <laughs> welcome to the great tradition, you know. <laughs> so it, it was quite a, like a 360 for her. Yeah. But I think, like we started our church, we, we did liturgy, because that's kind of a thing in the Midwest. Um, and in church history, but in the Midwest in particular. Just, just to clarify. Yeah, it. just to clarify. I, I know that's not a, it's not a Midwest, that, but there's yeah. a lot of mainline Protestant churches. And she was like, I'm having like trauma. Like, I, it's so weird to go back to this. And so it's been a rediscovery and a deepening of a lot of things she, uh, she did. But I felt like for us, it was this imitation. I thought we moved to plant a church for God to do work through us. And God wanted to do work in us mm-hmm. while he was doing a work through us. Yeah. And so it really led me into this journey of a rule of life, um, my own personal rule of life. What does it look like to be present to God, 
present to myself as God is present to me, present to my core relationships, and then present to my vocation and my work. Wow, that's very and, well said. And that was, that's that been again. a tenure. Present to God. Yeah. Present to... Present to myself. My, myself. And the way that God is present to me. Present to Because I was closest. disconnected from my body, yes. disconnected from my inner life. And so it's kind of that integration work. Present to my closest relationships. Yep. And then present, present to my to work. Present to my vocation. And my vocation. Work. Yeah. And that's how I built my rule of life with Crosspoint, with Rich and uh, Them. Interesting. Each one of those with a scripture passage, kind of a vision statement for each of those areas. And then some practices that I, uh, you know, review like Tyler on a regular basis. We have a, a day of prayer set aside for all of our pastors at our church. And that's a day for review and reflection and refinement. And by by prayer, you mean like solitude, or you mean intercessory prayer, or you mean but all of it? Yeah, yeah. A, essentially a day of renewal, a desolate day where yeah. you know Jesus gets away. All of our staff are required—I say required, but yeah, invited into that. We talk about that regularly, and that becomes a day for us to review that. Those are things that we share. Uh, I've shared my personal life with our church, uh, but it was something that was really a hidden work for five, six, seven years before we ever begin to roll it out to the church and talk yeah. about it congregationally. Beautiful. Um, so, so just to recap, so you come out of Southern Baptist into a kind of Acts 29, Harbor Reformed, church planting, gospel-centered kind of culture, and then you're getting wrecked by Plass and Cofield and Scazzaro and Sabbath and inner life and all this stuff. But you're kind of already a few years into the church plant, right? Yeah. So it's not like you get to lay the foundation that then you want to build the house on. You're you're having to like change things as you go. Do I yeah. understand that correctly? So talk just doing the long story, but a little bit about what was that like to take a church that kind of planted with a certain ethos and then begin to incrementally pastorally shift that ethos. Yeah, we, I would describe us as that kind of Keller-esque, gospel-centered, missional church. That was the language that we used. Yeah. And so about... And this was, you planted 10 years ago? 2011. Okay. So that was really kind of chapter one up yeah. until about 2016. Yeah. I was doing this personal work, but I had no idea how to how integrate to work this it out into in our church. system. Absolutely. And I didn't even know we needed this as a church. I thought this was just something for me. And about 2016, we did a health survey, and we asked our church about their basic practices of, of communion with God and... Uh, their life with God, and we realized as elders, man, we have a huge gap. There's a huge gap in deep discipleship, and, and no, I mean, less than 10% practicing Sabbath, very small percentage praying in any meaningful ways. We had a young church of millennials who had all been formed by, you know, that concrete rabbi in Indianapolis and in a <laughs> university and Purdue University and not by the way of Jesus, and so it was no surprise, but it was like yeah. a aha moment for us, like we need to bring this to the church, and so it really, uh, that kind of was my dive in. So then how do we begin to implement this organizationally? How do we begin to build systems and structures and lead our congregation on this journey? And so that, that initially became uh, preaching a formation series. That's about the time that we came across Practicing the Way and what you yeah. were uh, teaching was just super helpful and begin to discover there are other churches out there also doing yeah. this work. And, um, and we started with, uh, for us, because our context was liturgical, we, the first movement for us was calling it uh, a corporate liturgies project. Liturgy just means work of the people. And so how do we invite people into these shared rhythms? And we called it corporate liturgies, and mm -hmm. that kind of led us into larger, a larger rule of life, which yeah. we now practice. So, so talk to us about that now to kind of land the plane, like where are you at now, and where's Soma, the church, at now with rule of life and, you know, in that journey? Yeah, so it was, it's been a very difficult journey. We've had key leaders leave. Uh, over the shift. It was a shift from just being 
a gospel-centered missional church to now a church grounded in formation out of which, which, you know, is a part of... Gospel and mission comes yes, out of... Yeah, yep, and, and if it doesn't, something has gone wrong. Yes, and, and I'm not going to lie and say we didn't lose elders and key members and some people that didn't want to go this direction with us or saw this as foreign to yes. the, the tradition. But uh, it, it's... Especially in the, in the Midwest, I would imagine. Oh, it's, it's bizarre for a lot of people in the Midwest. Um, and so... For us, COVID became an opportunity to reset. Some people left, some new people came in. For us, we've tried to just focus on our, our staff, our elders, our board, our core leaders really getting a hold of this, and then this small kind of remnant community. So now we have a rule of life for the church that's basic, you know, daily practices of contemplative prayer and scripture reading and, thing, and self-examination. We have weekly practices of fasting and Sabbath. And then we have seasonal practices that we kind of rotate through like simplicity or preaching the gospel you know, we, we preach a couple mm. formation series throughout the year. Mm. I and I that. think, you know, 2.0 and 3.0 is kind of the stuff that, you know, Bethany and them were talking about here. How do we then get this amplified out into the larger culture of the church? Because it is still a weird thing when people come to church, they're not expecting to be invited. So it's public and invitational. Is that yes. kind of the current status? Yes. It's not like a church membership thing yet. Um, it's like a, we, you have a rule of life that's on your website or whatever, yep. and it's like, we'd love for you to join it. I'm imagining you and the staff are living by it. Yeah, so our staff's here. Uh, they're in the middle there. Uh, raise your hand. So they're all here. So Steve does this with the community, and, and we have rhythms for how we roll this out on a quarterly basis. We have this rule of life. Uh, and all of these different areas, we're trying to integrate this into family ministry, into you know kids and this kind of thing. But it is very, like we have the website, and then we have the resources that we hand out. We have some books that we read on a quarterly basis that invite people into this framework, trying to build some of those yes. file folders that got lost uh, a generation ago, apparently, in Indiana. Um, and, and so, but it, it kind of exists alongside. We have a membership covenant, and we have the rule of life. And yeah. to Tyler's point, we're trying to figure out how, how do we over merge time those merge things. those together. Yeah. yeah, rule of faith and rule of life. Beautiful. I love what you're doing. You know, one of the things that I've lamented in the last couple of years is you, we all have that little inner Elijah in us where it's like, I alone am left, and, uh, which is not true. And, you know, I was reading that story recently, and I was so lovingly rebuked by the Spirit because we all know that then later there's like, you know, the I've reserved 7,000 prophets who have not bowed the knee or whatever. But I did not realize a few chapters before, and this is, again, you know, one of the, the scripture disciplines I'm trying to adopt is like reading really small portions slowly and reading really large passion portions. Like, so I'm trying to get a little Richard, little Benedict Foster and Tim Mackey and like go back and forth between reading like large swaths of scripture and really small ones. And when you read them in large, you know, large swaths, you just notice all of these literary things that I miss. And I've, I didn't realize that Elijah knew he was informed by the king's right-hand man that he had been hiding away prophets. So Elijah knew that there were pro an unknown number of prophets that had been strategically hidden away, that he was not the only one when he said, I alone am left. And I'm just like, dang, that's so me. But it can really feel... <laughs> Like, man, is anybody else even trying and failing with me? You know, because we're so fumbling our way forward and trying to figure this out. And I want somebody to steal from, but I don't know anybody. And so it was just a joy. It was a joy to, you know, anytime I meet somebody like you or Tyler or Dave in San Francisco who's like trying to work this out in our own kind of three steps forward, two steps back way. It's just joy to my heart. So again, Brandon's going to continue to serve as the lead pastor of SOMA in Indianapolis, but give kind of a day or two a week to practicing the way as our director of church engagement. So again, he would love to meet all of you before the day is over.
But, um, and he'd love to have dinner with every single one of you uh, in the next month or, no, I'm kidding. But he would love to meet you, right? I can speak on behalf of that, serve you. Anything else you want to say before we move on? No, I just uh, appreciate it. I'm so honored again to be in this space. I felt like being here has been such an encouragement to our team and such a confirmation because we have felt very um, alone in a place like Indianapolis, given the traditions that we come out of. It has been a long wilderness season for us, and I don't know if you feel that, but to come in a room like this, to feel the energy, to, I mean, like literally every staff meeting, Cameron like starts with just listening prayer and just encouragement, and I, I, I've never been cared for in the way that I've been cared for. Here's the deal, like these people are the real deal, and I'm so thankful, Katia, uh, I mean, ever Tammy yesterday praying over me and my wife um, and Tammy's our family. my wife, by the way. Will you just yeah. stand up really fast, though, if you've yeah. yet to meet her? She's, she's amazing, thanks. So, anyways, I, all that to say, I, I just am um, so grateful for this room, and I do want to get to as many of you as I can, but also, um, Trust in the Spirit. This is something that God's doing. Um, John said that last night to us. This is something the Spirit of God is doing. And so we are trusting him together to be for us what we can't yeah. do in our own strength. And so yeah. I hope that this is an encouragement to you as well. And if you're signed up for, um, to be one of the pilot churches, which is almost all of you, uh, there was literally somebody here I met yesterday who randomly found the hidden link through an odd Google search. Like that is prophetic, that's amazing. <laughs> Um, but then you'll, you'll get emails from Brandon and such, not, not frequently, but you'll hear, you'll hear about opportunities coming. Thank you so much, Brandon. Thank you. We appreciate you. Okay, I just want to invite Tyler and uh, John up. Thank you so much. And we just want to do, we don't have a ton of time, but just one final Q&R. Ask anything you want uh, to kind of end our time together before we just pray and do a few things to kind of commission us into the next. Good morning, John. What a gift to have you. We stayed up way too, I was so tired last night, and uh, I sat down on the couch at an Airbnb, and then John Orpert decided to sit down on that same couch, and I was just like, I don't care how tired I am, I'm on this couch till he goes to bed. Turns out he goes to bed fairly late. <laughs> So I'm a bit tired today. Woke up this morning and asked him for Excedrin, but uh, really, really happy to be with you. So, uh, Christian, are you kind of, yes, the runner, thank you, man of many talents, rule of life exemplar, worship leader of the spirit, host of the Sabbath practice, microphone runner. Thank you. So any questions that you have, I think we got one right here, maybe Christian to start. Let us, uh, and you know, in Portland, we don't do Q and answer, Q and A, that Q question and answer, because that would imply like, you know, objective truth and people have answers. <laughs> so we do Q and R, question and response. We are happy to respond to whatever your question is. Hey guys, thanks. Um, my name's Michael, I'm from Auburn, Alabama. Um, this is a question just for anybody. It sounds like there is a, a pretty, uh, a differentiation between your kind of personal rule of lives you know, your values and then your practices. And then I, I guess, Tyler, you know, your, uh, what was it, pray, uh, relationships, work, and then you kind of build that out with your practices. And then your church kind of has your values that you set out, you know, the be with Jesus and the be kind to people, and then you have your practices. Can you speak a little bit more about the differentiation between like your personal rule of life and then your church rule of life and how those maybe are similar or different if they're, or I could be completely wrong on that, but just curious. I think I, 
I'd answer that by saying I think the confusion is because we're all phasing it. Mm -hmm. So it's not quite this linear, but I think what you're hearing is personal rule of life, rule of life with some other pastors, beginning rule of life for the church, long-term rule of life for the church. And that's kind of the, right? Like rough linear phrase that we're kind of winding our way through. And I think in my, my intended long-term goal is there would be a shared rule of life that the community I'm a part of would be living by. There'd be like a reach version of that, like a turned up to 11 version that myself and a few close friends would be living by. And then there'd be like an additional band of personalized things that are my, you know, my expressions, the imitations I'm sensing from the spirit, which might be spiritual practices like walking my dog in the forest or, you know, not windexing the window when my children put a hand on it. These are things that most people don't have to put on the rule of life, but <laughs> I really do, all right? So those, those are some, does that make sense? I don't know, that's how I'd answer that, yeah, but that, shoot. That, that's exactly right. I think what we're, what we're trying to explain in simpler terms is that uh, the first attempt to invite the congregation into a rule of life was similar to when Christian tried to run the stairs with pre-COVID John Mark. They just weren't ready. <laughs> and, and then uh, we just said, okay, let's scale back. So we, we're basically phasing, like John Mark said, and trying to close the gap between the two, but realizing it's a journey, it's not an initiative. My name is Blake. I live in uh, Columbia, Missouri. Thank you, guys. This has been a real treat. Oh, thank um, you for coming. We know that you read Willard all the time, Comer, but I got a question for Ortberg. Who are you reading? Who, like, who's the, who are the voices that... I mean, I think you guys clear who the, the staples are, but who are some new authors that you're discovering or works that you're uncovering that have been really impactful for you? Mostly Staten and Comer. You took the words right out of my mouth. I love that you referred to us in my last name only. Uh, yeah, for sure, the work that you guys are no, doing. No, I was no. kidding. <laughs> I was kidding. Uh, uh, is enormously helpful. Um, I, I, I'll tell you a little bit about reading. I don't know how it is for you. I would often find myself feeling guilty because there's all this stuff that I ought to read and I feel way far behind in it. And like, how could I ever catch up? And there's uh, another comment Dallas made one time. He said, uh, when I talked about how, like, how do I ever get all this stuff read? And he said, when it comes to reading, aim at depth, not breadth. Um, because if you aim at depth, you will get breadth thrown in. But if you aim at breadth, you will get neither depth nor breadth. Hmm. And the idea is, if you think about like spiritual formation, uh, because human nature is a constant, the need for things like self-examination or solitude or confession will always be present. And so if you go deeply into Ignatius or Wesley uh, or Zinzendorf, you will find discussions of those topics. And if they get deeply inside of you, then when you read somebody else, you will recognize those thoughts. Hmm. But if you're just constantly kind of skimming the surface with folks, it never actually gets into your mind. And um, th that you, you always have kind of a superficial approach to stuff. So honestly, I'm always reading Dallas Willard. I was like, 
uh, I find his stuff dense. And um, so I, if I keep reading, it just helps me understand. Uh, there's a really interesting book uh, that I have, I'm on my fourth reading now. It's called The Intellectual Life. And it's by a French uh, priest. He wrote it about 100 years ago. Certilliange, I think is how it's pronounced. I don't know French. But he talks about four different kinds of reading. It, his book is How Do You Steward Your Life? It's kind of a rule of life if you feel a calling around learning. And it's just a wonderful book. Again, it's, it's kind of a dense one. He talks about four different kinds of reading. The most important is foundational reading. And uh, those are people that you read to help form your mind really deeply. And he talks about the need to have an intellectual father. You like father language a lot. And I think in the Catholic tradition, uh, very often people have a kind of intellectual home and father that shapes them in ways that those of us that grew up in the evangelical world kind of didn't understand. Um, so that book, if you're interested on that topic, he's not a new author, he's been dead for 100 years, but uh, the intellectual life is wonderful. But I, I, what I try to look for is people who really help me. And um, uh, Dallas primarily, um, Henry Nowen very much, Thomas Merton very much, Lou Smeads is another guy, uh, Tom Wright in the world of theology, um, Comer, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Those are. <laughs> One of the things that's been, uh, and thank you by the way, I just read Intellectual Life pre recommendation. It was quite dense, but really good. Um, but you know, I'm learning that any book that really is worth reading, I have to read, and maybe this is just because I'm dense, at least three times. And, uh, and so I've started just rereading a ton. And one of the things that I've just sussed out that has so encouraged my heart is that some of the most brilliant teachers I know, I've found some of their sources. And it hasn't made me respect them any less. It's just made me realize, oh, Keller is a once-in-a-generation gift. Richard Lovelace's Renewal Dynamics, or whatever it is, that's a massive part of his paradigm in his work, and similar to the way Willard would be for you or for me. And that's actually encouraged me to pick a couple of like tomes and say, I'm gonna read these 10 times, and I'm just gonna get you know, Spirit of the Disciplines, uh, Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman, a couple of these works deep into me and, and be content with the limitations of my intellectual prowess, you know? But I, I feel like I think behind every John Ortberg or Tim Keller or name your Rich, Ruth Haley Barton, great teacher, there are a few fathers or mothers or books or thinkers that play a disproportionate role in the formation of their body of work. And I actually think that's an honoring of the limitations of our humanity. Yeah, I'll, I'll mention one of the book I thought as you were talking about that uh, by a woman, a philosopher uh, named Eleanor Stump. And she wrote a book called Wandering in Darkness. Uh, the title is taken from an anonymous poem that was found in Auschwitz. Hmm. And it deals with the problem of suffering. Uh, and she walks through, in particular, the stories of Abraham, Job, Samson, and Mary of Bethany. And the way that she treats narrative in the Bible is just incredible. She was formed very much by Thomas Aquinas. And I found in a difficult season that book uh, to be incredibly helpful. And I keep going back to it. Wow, beautiful. Next up. 
Hey, my name's Cody. I'm from uh, Texas, and I'm a pastor. And uh, I love how intentional you all are about rest and incorporating that into your life with the rule of life. Um, but I think my frustration as a pastor is that I can control when I rest, but I can't control when other people have to go to the hospital, die, have a funeral. And so for me... Neither can they on a couple of those ones. <laughs> but I, I just wonder... It would be fun to try, though. Okay, right. no one dies this week. Yeah. Or you die on Thursday. Right. That's true. Anybody can do a rule of life. We're going to have a rule of death. Now, that's something... Uh, keep going, I'm so sorry. No, you're good. Uh, well, you guys have inspired me because you've shown me that it's, it's possible to turn your phone off on Saturday and, and not have to feel a sense of guilt. But I just wondered, just for your personal experience, what it's looked like being in ministry and navigating that tension of being available as a pastor, but also intentional about resting. Yeah, I mean, I would just say we have to remember the telos is becoming a person of love and uh, not becoming a, you know, people, because we've spent a lot of time talking about emotionally healthy spirituality, which is just a ministry we love and respect, um, a lot of people who are early to that misunderstand that to mean feeling good emotionally on a regular basis, which is both a setup for psychosis and can actually move you away from the call of Jesus. If emotionally healthy spirituality is feeling happy and whole and well-rested, then Jesus was not always emotionally healthy. Um, he was definitely not the night before the cross. So there's a, there's a more Jesus cruciform version of what emotional health is. So the, the question with drawing boundary lines around Sabbath and morning prayer and seasons of rest is those are not necessarily an end, they are a means to an end. And so the end is to become a person of love. So when my, you know, 13-year-old son interrupts my morning quiet time and my response is anger, something has gone wrong in my morning quiet time. And if I did not have a morning quiet time, if all I did was just get up and hang with my kids and go out my work day, then there would be an anger that would never stand a chance of going away in my life. So I need rest in order to become a person of love in God. So on one hand, I think you draw boundaries around the day. So like I'm doing things like um, uh, we turn off our phones because that way I don't know if you died. <laughs> and that's really helpful because I can have no guilt. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and those that really know, need to find me, can find me. They know where I live and they can come knock on my door and they can find us. But we, we draw strict boundaries around the day. But there are times when those boundaries have to be porous if we're on a trajectory toward becoming people of love. So, you know, this is the messy reality of spiritual realism. Build a life of discipleship around Sabbath rest and find a day to Sabbath on that has the lowest you know, percentage of interruption and know that it's never gonna be perfect. And you're gonna have interruptions and there's things that are gonna happen and you, know, you have to turn your phone on to do it. Like it just, that's life. So I think that's how I would say is, you know, build a life of discipline, 
put boundaries around your life, but never forget that the whole point is to move toward giving your life away. And um, emotional maturity is not being happy all the time. Though you hope that you are developing the fruit of the spirit of joy as a strong undercurrent that is running beneath the entire stream of your story. But there'll be entire seasons where you are wandering in darkness, where you are giving your death away, where you are allowing the interruption of life to come into you. And we have to not just accept those, we have to embrace them. I could just throw in one really practical, a couple practical thoughts that I think might be helpful in thinking about this. Um, so I know that the way that John Mark practices Sabbath is to turn his phone off for 24 hours. We're, we're at different stages in parenting in particular. And so for me, I turn my phone off for the, the first half of the Sabbath day. And then I have it on do not disturb. So that, uh, because for me, a portion of the Sabbath involves me taking my kids so that my wife has some time with them not around her, you know? Um, and, and so I do need to be in touch with her. And, and, and so there's, there's that. Re I think I just want to say there's more than one way to practice Sabbath as it relates to technology. But I do think turning your phone off is a really important discipline pastorally. And a couple of other thoughts related to that is one, you having rest is important discipleship for you and the people you pastor. Um, there's definitely a level of pastoral presence that inhibits the discipleship of the people that you pastor from drawing from you what they're meant to draw from God. And so I just think that's important to remember. Uh, and Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, so there are extraordinary circumstances sometimes where, where you're, you are at liberty to engage people. But the way that I think about it personally is um, who would I engage relationally and who am I engaging pastorally? If Bethany had a crisis during my Sabbath day, I would talk to her because that's relational to me. She's a friend to me and, and that matters. There's other people to whom I'm primarily pastor and, and that feels like it's in a different category to me. So there's no perfect answer to your question, but to whatever degree those thoughts may be helpful, I'll offer them up. Hey, up here at the top. Uh, thanks, guys. It's been great. Uh, my name's RD. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, a question that I have, and I know from my inner life and for so many people at our church, is the formation journey, is this invitation of God that there's more that he wants to do in your life? And I wonder for myself and many people though, it's just some of the beliefs that um, the people hide behind fig leaves and when they uh, maybe don't believe that God does want to form them or that God really invites them into this journey because they're living in the shame cycle and just that as we call people kind of further up and further in, a part of the journey is really communicating to people who they are in Christ and that God is, um, that loves them in Jesus. And so I wonder if you could talk about just creating cultures where people actually believe that God is for them and believe God wants to change them and not that through their sin and fumbling that God is displeased with them and just makes them go back into the trees 
but actually comes out into his presence. And so anyway, ways to encourage that people in the way of Jesus and not become discouraged because of how God sees them. I can take a crack at it. Um, uh, in, in Renovation of the Heart, Dallas Willard talks about uh, there's a model for change that always uh, applies, and he used a little acronym, VIM, Vision, Intention, and Method. And so if you think about uh, wanting to learn how to play a piano or wanting to lose weight or learn Spanish, uh, the V for vision, I have to have a uh, picture of what the future could look like. And I think that's what you're talking about. What is my vision of my life with God? And, uh, and if the mark of an effective vision is it elicits unforced desire. Mm. Mm. And that's why Jesus over and over again has to correct people's distorted vision of what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. That's why he will so often use money to watch your life compare to the kingdom of God. It's like a guy that finds treasure buried in the field. Why? Because who wants to be a millionaire? Everybody wants to have money. So he says, when you understand the, the kingdom rightly, you will want it more than you want anything else. Mm. You will tear down the roof of the house to get your friend into Jesus. You will, you know. Uh, and then intention, make the vow. Always under the hood, there's intention, I will choose. And then there's method. And that's what a lot of what we're talking about here, the rule of life, practicing Sabbath, practicing generosity, practicing hospitality. There has to be method. Um, if you have vision but no method, people get frustrated. But if you have method without vision, that's legalism. Because that's just do more, do more, do more. And a, a lot of times in churches, we'll end up uh, facing a vision problem but what we hammer on is intention. Be more devoted, be more committed. So actually thinking about my own life and thinking about the life of your church, where is people's vision for their life with God? Sometimes I, I have done this and it can be a good thing. Just write down on a piece of paper, what is my vision of who I would be if I was living in the kingdom? And write it down till when I read it, I really want it. Because honestly, if you just say, in addition to everything else you're doing, practice Sabbath and practice generosity and practice hospitality, that can feel kind of overwhelming to people. Absolutely. So it has to start with a vision. It has to start with desire. Yeah, yeah, a vision that creates desire and then intention and then method. And people have to have confidence that the method is wise enough that if I do the method, it will actually help me to realize the vision. So, uh, yes, I think that coming back to the vision of your identity as a beloved child of God that you can actually experience more and more if you live with him. Uh, we have to come back to that over and over. We're never done with that. Yeah, it's so funny. Uh, in very prophetic timing, right before COVID, my wife down here uh, bought a Peloton for our house. And I have been learning more about spiritual formation from Peloton than I ever learned from Dallas Willard. No, that's an overstatement. <laughs> But, you know, uh, has anybody ever taken a Peloton class by any chance? Okay, not a ton of you. It is like full, it's, it's a masquerading as a training class. It, it is full on indoctrination into kind of millennial 
post-secular, quasi-new age, self-actualization, be true to yourself, postmodern, radical. I mean, it, it is next level. My last ride, he said, you can be a lowercase six if you want to be a lowercase six. I mean, it's just like a level of, I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can't, um, I can't be a woman and I can't be, I definitely can't be a lowercase six. I know that much is true. Um, but it's brilliant. These are, ma personal trainers are masters of being able to inspire, to do what I'm trying to do. They know how to inspire people to do something that their body does not want to do, but some deep part of them at some level wants even more, and they make them do it voluntarily and pay them for it. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> trying to get people to do something that they don't really want to do, but a deepest part of them wants to do, and I'm trying to get them to do it of their own free will and pay me to help them do it. <laughs> and, uh, and so I'm learning so much. And I'm to the point where I've started to work in like little aphorisms into my teachings. Like there's this one I used right before I went on sabbatical. It was a Dennis Morton line. Uh, it was, you know, we make recommendations, you make decisions. You'll actually see it in the Sabbath practice. I don't quote him. And I had somebody come up to me and say, did you quote Denny Morton in your sermon at the end? I'm like, yes, I did. But that's a great line. We make recommendations, you make decisions. Invitational leadership but they toggle back and forth between basically self-help motivational speech and on-the-ground personal training constantly, back and forth. Vision, vision, vision. Tighten up your thing, put your shoulders back, suck your abs in, which I need to hear a thousand times or whatever. Vision, 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 vision. Watch this, don't let your knees go out. It's just this constant toggle back and forth between vision and method. And I think, you know, Willard would say, we can't do intention for people. We can do at a pastoral level vision, and we can offer methodology, and we can create space and just pray that people's hearts are open and willing to the Spirit working in them to say intention. We can't do that for people, nor should we. It's very hard to lead people without overriding their kingdom. What a line. A few more. Christian's still up in the balcony. Hey, my name's Garrett, I'm from Dallas. Um, as churches experiment with and establish a rule of life, do you foresee a point where a church can land on one that becomes their indefinite rule of life? Or should this way, rule of life be changing every couple years? I, I think that the dichotomy between indefinite and changing every couple years uh, is too wide. I, I don't think, I, I definitely don't think a church should be changing their rule of life every couple of years. I think if you're inviting people to a shared way of living um, and changing it that much, you're doing a disservice to the people you're inviting. Um, I, I would say this, I think that if you look at the different movements throughout history, they haven't been changing rules. You know, they've been static rules that people are invited into but I also think that there have been nuances between what's put on paper and then the journey of becoming. And so I think there has to be some freedom for people to, to live into values so that you make room for the Spirit's invitation in an individual's life. 
um, so that they're able to partner with the Spirit in discerning what does maturity look like for me in this local community that I'm covenanted to, to living this way. Um, so a practical example of that would be, um, you know, there are seasons in our spiritual life when feasting may actually be an important spiritual discipline for us. Fasting is a historic practice of the Christian faith that we know the way that it forms us and, and it, would, it would be one of like those major food groups I was referencing before. So there shouldn't be a season where someone throws out fasting, but if someone felt that they couldn't live into the Spirit's invitation of feasting because they had covenanted to this rule of life, I would say the boundary lines have been drawn too tightly and you haven't left room for the individual to relate to God hear his invitations, and then put them into practice, to practice them, as you were mentioning before. So I, I guess that's a wordy way of saying, I would be looking for something that you intend to never change, and I would know that the first thing you invite people into, you're probably gonna be tweaking as you figure out how to do this for a community, but ultimately I think you're trying to land somewhere and say, this is how we live in this community. We've dug a well. Anyone who wants can come and drink. Yeah, and I think, as, which is why we're going so slowly. It's why there's not a rule up on the new website and stuff like that, because we, we really want to take our time. And for me, that's a discipline, because I'm an impatient person. But, um, you know, one way to think about that is to think about kind of a rule of life based around countercultural values, right? So the a community of blank and a culture of blank, a community of unhurried, restful presence and a culture of stress and overload and hurry and busy, whatever. And then what's a practice, a kind of a category of practice that we can train to live into this aspirational value of the kingdom of God. For example, Sabbath would be one, and there are others. But then a third category is like specific expressions of these kind of, like the nine practices we're releasing are like buckets there's all sorts of spiritual disciplines that would fall in orbit around that. Hospitality would include justice and evangelism and you know, multi-generational caring for, I mean, it would include all sorts of things in this kind of bucket of a biblical theology of welcoming the stranger to the table and to the family. And um, so one of the things that you did, Tyler, at Oaks that I love, would you give us the website for the rule of life that you guys built? Yeah, it's, I'm, my memory is foggy right now. Yeah, it's thegoodway.live. Thegoodway.live. I would highly encourage you to check that out. One of the things that they did at Oaks that I really liked was, I think you broke it down into seven practices, is that right? Eight. Eight practices. Mm -hmm. But then each of those kind of practices, you know, scripture, whatever, had Sabbath, had, you know, gosh, like 10 to 15 possible, you know, yeah, uh, like examples. Yeah, a catalog of expressions. A catalog. So scripture could be like Lectio Divina, reading large portions, taking a Bible project, you know, classroom thing or whatever, reading out loud with your people, memorization of scripture. I mean, it, there's all these different ways that you can follow the leading of the Spirit for your stage of life, your personality, the growth edge for you, and then kind of asking people in the church, commit to scripture. 
maybe, or maybe even commit to the daily reading of scripture. But you decide when and how much and in what form and what, ver like, and so then you have to do that work. And so like, hey, our church is committed to these nine practices or eight practices, but you have to sit every year, every season with your spiritual director, your pastor, your community, and discern what are the invitations of the spirit to me personally. Our community is living in Sabbath. So John Mark does a full 24 hours and a Sabbath meal and turns off his phone. That's way too much for me. So maybe the invitation for me is to do like a Sunday dinner and turn my phone off for two or three hours and have a Sunday lunch with people after church. Maybe that's what I start with this year. And so letting pe people need that freedom, it has to be freely chosen for it to be effective at all. And that's really the challenge is how do you do something communal that's still freely chosen and how is it tangible enough that it will actually produce transformation in people's lives, but accessible enough that most people will still give it a shot and won't be turned off or scared away by it. And that's that, that's what we're chasing, I think. Yeah, and I, I just wanna be very clear about this one thing. My suggestion is not that you leave this conference and go start a rule of life for your church. M my suggestion is that you leave this conference and go start living a rule of life and come up for air in three to five years and see how it's forming you and see if you can honestly say, follow me as I follow Christ to some people. And then I, I would suggest have like a 10 year plan or come on the journey with us as we try to figure it out, you know, yeah. but, but the, I, I would just wanna be, I, I would just say proceed with caution, you're playing with fire. Fire that can really form people or could do damage to people um, in, in their own spiritual development. So just, I think, holy fear as you think about how you shape your church and dream about spiritual formation when you get to this granular of a level is an important thing to have. And holy patience. Yeah. You know, God give us that, the long, slow work of discipleship to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Let's do one more, and we're going to go just a few minutes over, but not that long. You raised it first. Uh, hey, I'm uh, Russell from Tallahassee. Thank you all so much for this. It's been so helpful in so many ways. I'm just so inspired by all this. Um, how do you in your church gauge, not so much like success, like something you can put on like a spreadsheet or whatever, but how do you gauge like buy-in, like, oh man, people are really digging into this or not? How do you gauge that? How do you measure that? Thanks. I think I'm the only one I just, here actively I just, leading a church right I just, now. <laughs> I just measure people's devotional practices and equate that with spiritual <laughs> maturity. <laughs> While you're thinking, yeah. we were talking last night, and this is why I just, uh, I think what, you're, what you all are signed up for and thinking about, praying about, dreaming about is such a noble, noble and desperately needed thing. And I always wrestle with that. I never felt like I did well at all in trying to lead a church concretely into a life-changing way of life. So that this is a gathering that's working on that is great. I would think sometimes there'll be lots of churches that excel in particular areas. So if you ask, where's the church where, you know, the worship is electric? People can often name it. Where's church where they have a mission program that's amazing? People could do that. Where's church where the kind of education teaching's amazing? Can name that. Where's the church where they're regularly producing loving, joyful, courageous people? That's a lot harder to name. And, and that's what this is about, is how do we produce people who are immersed in the love of God and living lives of joy and peace 
and that's success, and there is a way to do it. Tyler? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, yeah, the challenge is always taking exactly what was just being said and then saying, so in this context, it looks like blank. And I would say at Bridgetown, it looks like we would measure success by our, our people in Bridgetown communities, which would be our structure we were talking about yesterday, and then our coaching model for engaging those community leaders and pastorally developing them as the pastors of the church. So we believe our community leaders are the primary pastors of our church. And if we are coaching them, training them up in righteousness, listening to them, helping them troubleshoot leadership questions, if they are growing in love with, in, with God and people, and more and more people are being filtered into the communities that they pastor around the table, then I feel pretty comfortable with the trajectory that we're on as a church. The second thing I would say is, so now, the, the question that we are asking is then what happens if you're in a Bridgetown community for 10 years? Number one, one really good thing that happens is a long obedience in the same direction, which I think forms us more than anything. But secondly, that's, to me, that's where we start talking about a rule of life, is is there a deeper invitation? Or is this the end of the journey here? Now do this in perpetuity with these people. And, and we're dreaming of a deeper invitation whereby, as Bethany was saying, we have some people that are swimming in the deep end and we're discipling them in a different way. We're doing quarterly retreats to Mount Angel, which is an abbey an hour from here. We're doing, you know, we're essentially running a spiritual, an intense spiritual formation cohort in a local church. Um, and, and that's a dream that I hope isn't a wish dream. I hope it's a dream that's realized, but, but the first way, that, that would be practically how we measure success around here and how we think about and talk about that. And then, of course, there's all kinds of little spokes that have to feed into that, right? So we also, if we're not regularly baptizing new believers, then we may be measuring our success over being the preferred church to the other local congregations. And that, that is not what we're trying to do. Um, so, so I think there have to be filters, but that would be the most concrete, like this is the end, but then there's filters by which we say, is this fool's gold? Or is this really discipleship to Jesus? People are coming to relationship with him, they're being formed into his image, they're entering into community, and they're practicing the stuff together with leaders that we're developing, loving, training up, and drawing deeper in. So well said. I just love that you're asking, I love that answer, and I love that question. I love that you're asking it. And, uh, you know, Orberg, I was going to ask you, uh, I, I just finished writing a book about all the formation stuff that will come out in a year, and I, there's a line in it, and I, I can't remember if it's me or you, which means it's probably you plagiarized. Um, and I think you said this to me, but I meant to ask you about it, and it was the only thing worse than trying to measure our spiritual progress is not trying to measure our spiritual progress. And um, so there's this latent danger in metrics of success, but you can't, what gets measured gets valued, I mean, all of that, you can't not. And I came up in a very strong, attractional, megachurch kind of culture, and uh, at some level had the right wiring to play in that, on that field. 
and uh, just found, man, that's not what I want to give my life to. And it's not a critique of it. It's just, that's not, from, that's not I think, God's calling me. And, uh, but the beautiful thing about that model of church is the metrics of success were so clear, and I could get them in my inbox every Monday morning. Butts, budget, buildings, buzz. So e I mean, We didn't actually have that in the email, just to clarify. We were not that crass, but how many people were there? Yeah, there's people writing those yeah, words yes. down right now. <laughs> that's not, oh, that's good. That's, that's good. Oh, that's great. That's alliteration. The from this conference. <laughs> Another thing is, that is why you don't preach with alliteration, uh, John Mark. Um, you know, how many people were there? What's the real estate kind of situation? How much money did they give? And, you know, what's the buzz? Is there momentum is the, is the megachurch word? And what's the retweet, you know, thing? And how many posts and how many followers? And those are just, you, there are literal numbers that you can get in an email or a Google search for those four things. And none of those things, and, and numbers matter. There's a whole book in the Bible called Numbers. And, um, and, and the number of people coming to faith in Jesus matters. But you can kill it at all of those metrics and stand before Jesus and be told, you did not shepherd my people into Christ-likeness. And the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, which is arguably one of or the best kind of metrics of success in the New Testament. Man, I can't get an email in Monday morning. Due to your sermon, your church is 7% more patient now. Well done. I can't share that with our donors and chart that we're up patients 33% due to this strategy that we you know, implemented in 2021 or whatever. But that's the metric that matters. So um, I just wanna end by saying this, you know, we just wanna offer to you in involuntary humility. So there's like a character kind of humility. We're really godly people. Then there's a like, we don't know the answer to that question or we messed up humility. An involuntary humility to you that we intended to come into this conference with just as many or more questions than answers. Mm -hmm. Because we want this to be a learning community. And we want to learn with you and from you and for you. And we want you to do the same for us. And you know, that the poet Rilke has that great line, sometimes you must live the questions. And uh, I don't know what all the answers to this and formation and rule of life and what's the way and what's the transformation. I just know that that's the question I want to spend the next 40 years of my life asking. And I know that I'm not smart enough to get a great answer. And so the more Tyler's and John's and you and all of you that I have asking that question and stumbling toward possible answers to that question, um, the more progress I can make forward. So that's what we're inviting you into. Mm -hmm. We'll come back, we'll do another one of these next year. Uh, we already have a planned out. We already have a whole thing we want to do. And uh, we'll offer you what we're learning and we will want to hear from you what you are learning, and we'll still have a whole bunch of questions, and I doubt that will change anytime soon, but let's live the questions together. Let's stand together and pray. Just take a moment to breathe.
So we'd like to close in two ways. The first is in inviting some to receive prayer. And then secondly, to pray corporately together. So that's how we'll close over the next 10 to 15 minutes. And so just uh, as you are beginning to get used to around here now, I just wanna invite you to open your hands. And I just wanna pray, come Holy Spirit. Lord, I love what John Mark just said, just, man, if, if what we're giving away is some ideas that we borrowed from others whose books we read, we don't stand a chance. But if the resurrection power of Jesus is alive in me and in my brothers and sisters, then the victory's already been won. And so what I wanna ask right now, Lord, is that there's a lot of good work you've begun in individuals here, but some, some in this room would be in need of what's called a sealing work of the Holy Spirit, which is, is simply a, God has opened up something in me that is vulnerable and powerful. It's powerful because it's more space in me for him to pour in his presence, power, blessing, and spirit. And it's vulnerable because it's open. And so I think what we would like to ask right now is to create a little space where the spirit can just come and speak a word of sealing, of saying, this is good what I've begun and I will be the one to protect it so that this new life that is within you can grow and develop to maturity. So I just wanna spend 30 seconds in silence for you to ask, Lord, have you begun a new work in me? Have you opened up something in me that is equal parts powerful and vulnerable And I'm sure that a lot of us could say yes on a surface level, but some of us, I think, can say yes on a deep level. And in my experience, what it's like to say yes on a deep level is this. It's like the second I say it, it plunges into your gut that you know like, oh, that's a yes for me. And you don't really wanna come forward very much. So there's equal parts, yes, and resistance. There's some of both of those within you. So if that's you, if the Lord's opened up something in you that is powerful and vulnerable, and there is both a deep cries out to deep kind of yes, and ah, uh, oh, it's almost lunch, and I, I don't really want to, and I could just ask my team to pray for me later, and then I think we need to pray for you, just for a few minutes before you go. So if that's you and, and you know it's you, then would you just come forward right now to the front of this room? And we've got a team that would love to pray a word of sealing work from the Holy Spirit. So would you come Holy Spirit right now? Would you speak to individual hearts? Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. How good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. It's like oil on the head, pouring down the beard, down Aaron's beard on the collar of his robe. There the Lord bestows his blessing, both now and forevermore. There the Lord bestows his blessing, both now and forevermore. And so without any wait, just Bridgetown Prayer Team, would you just come and lay a hand on, simply pray a prayer of blessing as we always do, and then if, if the Spirit of God speaks to you, one of those thoughts that feels like it's come from his imagination, not yours, then would you just pray a simple word of prophetic prayer over these individuals? Thank you, Lord, more, Lord. And I want to ask some of our team, if you would start over here, if a few folks would, that would be amazing. And if you're one of those in the seats, would you just intercede for your brothers and sisters? Even aloud, can we just be a choir of prayer in here as we pray for God to do what only God can do? good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. It's like oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard on the collar of his robe. There the Lord bestows his blessing, both now and forevermore. Here the Lord bestows his blessing, both now and forevermore. Just as people continue to being prayed, being prayed for, I just give you glory, God. There's nothing like following you, Jesus. There's nothing like coming after you. I want to spend the rest of my days coming after you. And there's nothing like your love, Father. There's nothing like your love. It's better than life itself. Yeah. And there is no empowering presence like yours, Holy Spirit. There is no lesser thing that I want to be filled with than you. And I thank you, God, that that is not my prayer, that is our prayer. (laughs) That each and every one of us could say that. So uh, just as people continue to be ministered to, and just you're welcome to stay and receive as much ministry as you'd like. It's not I've been prayed for by one person, now I have to head back, and it's not I gotta stay up here till the very, very end. It's, It's you're responding to Jesus, so you be faithful to respond to Jesus. But as that continues, John Mark's also gonna lead us now to some corporate intercession to pray for a few groups in particular. Um, But let's continue, if the ministry team can continue to minister as we do that, we'd love it. 
Yeah, I'm just thinking about what Tyler said about new wine and new wineskins. And uh, this might be too vulnerable, and so we'll just have to trust God with that. But thinking of any of you that either are going through a transition or a succession, like Tyler and I just went through, where you are coming out of a church or going into a church, or you're being in that moment of you're being disturbed because it's, it may be dawning on you that you need to step away to do what God's put in your heart. And that's a very hard place to be. Uh, what John said last night about your center of gravity is not the same as your tradition center of gravity. We just, with no agenda for what the right or wrong decision there is, we just wanna pray that God would pastor and guide you through that. So if that's you, uh, if you can hear us in the front and feel free just to tune us out, but mostly those of you in the room, would you just, and again, it might not be appropriate and we'll just trust God to see your heart, but would you put your hand up and we're not gonna ask you to say anything, we just wanna pray over you. Um, just put your hand, wow, that's a lot. And would you just keep that up? All of those of you around those with a hand up, would you just quietly turn around and put a hand on their shoulder? Those of you with an eyesight, would you just pick one or two people and turn around and face them even if you're 30 feet away and just stretch out your hand because just as a way of praying with your body. And I'm not gonna lead a prayer, just out loud. It doesn't have to be loud, but all together for a minute, would you just pray, whatever, pray your best prayer, as one of our friends named Alan would say, pray your best prayer, whatever God is stirring your heart, for God to lead them, guide them, pastor them, go. Another similar group, and some of you may be in both here, but if anyone is church planting in the room, in that process, and you're in that space, you're laying a foundation, and that is a crucial time in the, the story of a, a family. Um, and I'm just gonna define that by if you are two years within either side, before or after that kind of, however you mark the beginning point of your plant, whether that's your first table community or your first service, no right answer there. Just if you're kind of two years in or two years out, if you're moving toward or you're just in the early days of the foundation lane stage, would you just put your hand up so we can just pray a special blessing on you in that foundational stage? Okay, keep it up. Same thing, those of you around, hand on the shoulder. Pray your best prayer out loud. Doesn't have to be loud, but out loud, all together at once, pray your best prayer.
One last thing we want to do to kind of seal our time, but first, uh, honor to whom honor is due. First, I just want to honor and say thank you to all of you for your humility to come out, to be a part of this conversation, to join us, to test some of the stuff we're doing and give us your trust. We just love you, thank God for you, promise to pray for you, and we bless you. Um, secondly, Deanna, would you kind of come up here? This is Deanna Gilday. Yes. Wait, I was going to... Uh, there is this, I'm not gonna say that, never. There's a chauvinistic old school statement that is horrible, but it's still true, that behind every great man, there's an even greater woman. 
And there are so many things wrong with that saying. My point, I don't know why I just said it then. <laughs> My point is the lesser is blessed by the greater. This is an extraordinary woman who has been uh, serving alongside me for a decade or so. And she put this entire thing on. I barely knew what was happening until I looked at my Evernote on the plane up. And uh, so we just want to say thank you yeah. and bless you. Yeah. And, um, and Deanna, was kind enough to bring together a bunch of volunteers from Bridgetown Church who are on the prayer team, who are running the bookstore, who are out on hospitality, who have get, taken days off work just to serve you and help you. And we just want to say thank you to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. And, um, and Deanna, you just had one closing word for people before they go to the airport or whatever. Um, I, we wanted to let you know that for, we know that a lot of you may have thought we ended today at five, so your flights may be delayed. So we want you to know you can check your luggage here um, and go explore Portland. We're gonna keep the coffee flowing. We got the approval to flip back on the guest Wi-Fi, So you can hang out here. We're gonna open the kombucha bar. So if you just wanna chill or go explore, go for a walk, um, we, our team is here till five o'clock to just love and host you. So thank you all, you've been so amazing. And um, you know, if you're new to Bridgetown, you notice we kind of, we move around a tiny bit more than the average church or whatever. And I think we're just learning about how our body is a part of who we are and we pray with our body. And uh, you know, Tyler and I have this ongoing just thirst and fascination with kind of the ancient church and ancient Christian mm -hmm. spirituality. and and we're just finding it to be remarkably present to our day. And one thing that pretty much all Christians did every morning alone and every Sunday when they would gather for worship for hundreds of years was at some point in the worship gathering, they would take their body and they would stand up and they would turn and face the east and they would pray toward the east. And the East was, at a biblical level, the direction of Christ's return to Jerusalem. And at a metaphoric level, it's where the sun rises every morning. And so it became this picture of the hope of Christ's return mm -hmm. and the hope that Christ's resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit and the people of God are this way of Christ dragging his future into the present dragging the age to come into this present age of the now and the not yet in a way of waking up out of the darkness of pain and suffering and unanswered questions and wandering in the dark to the sunrise, to the hope of Christ's return, to the truth of our future, to the telos of our meaningful existence. So we're just gonna end by praying a psalm and I just wanna invite you to pray with your body toward the east. East is the exact opposite direction that you are facing. So I'm gonna invite you just to turn around, center your spirit, open your body. If you wanna put your hands up in the air, you don't have to, but that's, that's the biblical posture for prayers, praying, standing up, eyes open, arms out, and let's pray and look forward to what Christ will do in days to come. So we join our voices now to the praying voice of David. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. 
Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Amen.